Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 150-150 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. Uh, it's uh, a very just you know, a calm, normal Tuesday. Nothing really happened. There's no emergency of any kind. Biggest news today was the Hall of Fame inductions and all that fun stuff. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, there's emergency, and here we are. Scott Coleman is joining me, and, uh, you know, I, didn't, I guess we didn't have to do a podcast, Scott, but when um, the Braves make a move for a starter... We have to do that, and uh, that's what happened on Tuesday. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, if, if you haven't read Fangraphs' article about the Braves re-signing Marcakis, they, they even kind of said exactly what you just said in so many words that uh, usually they don't write articles about guys who signed one-year deals for basically $4 million. Uh, but in this case, they did because it's a guy who's going to start a whole bunch of games on a team that's going to try to win a division next year. and. It's uh, it's certainly a little different than than what uh, people probably expected three months ago, but here we are. Yeah, I mean, reigning division champion um, signs outfielder to contract to be the primary starter is something that you could say about this move. So obviously, this is, this entire podcast we should just say now is going to be Nick Markakis related. We will, uh, I'm sure, have a couple of uh, non sequiturs elsewhere, but. Uh, no, like full rundown today. It's all Marquecas all the time here on the podcast, and you know, detail-wise, something to point out here: Marquecas is, of course, back. Um, the Braves announced this move, and then uh, Alex Anthopoulos talked on the record. So, so did Marquecas after that. But it hit on Tuesday afternoon. Originally reported as a one-year, six million dollar deal. It's actually a two-year deal. Um, it's four million dollars guarantee for 2019, and a six million dollar club option for 2020 that has a two million dollar buyout. So Marquecas is guaranteed six million dollars. But it's actually four million for 2019 and a guarantee of two for 2020, and I think it's probably wise to assume that's a one-year deal. But if Arcakis is actually good in 2019, which is not impossible, obviously he was pretty good uh, in 2018. If that were to happen, there is the potential for some value in 2020 if he were to you know fight off the aging curve entirely and be good again. But I, I can't imagine that's going to be the most likely outcome. So it's basically a one-year six one-year six six million dollar deal. That's just kind of important and some of the um, machinations here. So we'll sort of drill down. I do want to take a little bit of the more positive approach at the beginning. At least I will, and I'll sort of tee you up if you want to go in a different direction. But you and I discussed on this program, I think more than once, but at least once, the potential of Marquecas coming back at a at a reasonable salary um, as sort of a precursor to other things happening. Now, at the time we said that, it was basically, we're okay with this if they do something else, a la Real Muto or something else. Um, so, step one has happened here. Marquecas is at, on a very reasonable contract. I think neither one of us probably are excited about the prospect of him playing as a, as a quote, everyday player, end quote. But one year, six million for Marquecas is actually less than I thought he was going to get on the market. And in a vacuum, I stress this again, in a vacuum, it's a good value. So, let's just start there. 
what was your first reaction? That was sort of mine. Just I think I immediately tweeted that. Even this is a good value, but if depending on what else happens, that's where I am. Are you in the same place as I am, or are you one of those people that's ready to burn down uh, huh. Liberty Media and all those fun th- and, all, and all those fun entities? Yeah, I mean, there's many many layers to this, as as you kind of alluded to, and I think my first reaction was was what a lot of people had was was frustration because you spend uh, all off season getting excited, thinking about all of the names you hear. You know, everyone from the Bryce Harpers and Mitch Hanegers to to the slightly lesser options, and then and then Ken Rosenthal tweets, uh, Nick Markakis is going back to the Braves. So, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. In a vacuum, this deal is fine. I mean, there there is zero risk associated with a one year deal for six million, four million, two year deal, club option, however you want to frame it. There's really no genuine risk to this deal. Um, where you're trading off, of course, is is the upside. Um, even if Mark Hakish repeats last year, which was one of maybe his three or four best seasons ever, and, and he could, I think, with with a little more rest, and of course everyone knows how good he was early on, and, and then he fell off. I think even if Mark Hakish is able to repeat 2018, which I think would be a bit of a surprise, uh, and, and the projection systems don't see him quite doing that, um, at, at four or six million dollars, however you want to phrase it, it's it's a worthwhile deal. I think though, with with signing Markakis for to be your basically everyday right field uh, option, uh, as Anthopoulos said today, you really are kind of limiting the upside that some of the other options out there ha- out there had. Now, I, I will say I think it's it's worth noting that the Braves made this deal in the last week of January, so it wasn't as if they rushed into this move. I think I would have liked it even less if mm-hmm. they would have done this in like the second week of November and immediately closed the door on any right field upgrade. The fact that they spent three months looking and scouring all the options and they eventually circled back to, to Nick is, I think it says something about the market right now. Um, and ultimately, I think you, I, and everybody else would have preferred someone with a little more upside. But at the end of the day, after three months and, and at the price they paid, it's hard for me to get too, too mad uh, about bringing him back for 2019. Yeah, that's a good point. I think if, if this happened early, we would have been a lot more upset. And even then, I get the frustration. Let me say that now. I think I just, you know, we probably alluded to this a couple of times during the podcast today. But I understand the reaction from the fan base that doesn't like this. And honestly, because of the situation, it is a li- it's a lot less attractive than you would just say on the surface. You know, one year, six million dollars for a player of Marquez's stature is fine, obviously. But if we assume he's going to play most days or every day, as they sort of alluded to, Anthopoulos did today on the record, it becomes less appetizing, and especially so if he's sort of in the middle of the lineup because you know he obviously was pretty good last year. We I've talked about this a number of times, but he fell off a cliff late. Um, it wasn't only that, but you know he he had the red hot start. He had one more good stretch in the summer. It wasn't just that hot start, but he had one more good stretch. But after that, he had a sub 700 OPS for the last two months of the season. He was genuinely bad um, for that whole time from August, basically from the end of August on. He was um, basically below below replacement level. That was how bad he was. Um, but you know the projection systems have him as like a league average hitter for 2019, which is you know, fine. His defense was much better last year. It still wasn't good necessarily. I know he won the gold glove, but without getting down that rabbit hole, he's not a good defender. He's, he's better uh, because of the way they position him, all that fun stuff. So I think, again, you know, one win player is not something that you are going to get excited about in the outfield. He's capable of more than that, to be sure. But I think at 35, you have to 
point out that, you know, it's one of those things where you can't really expect him to repeat. Maybe, maybe it's definitely possible. I wouldn't expect it. I do want to say kind of hilariously, because I feel like we we should do something of a victory lap here. Anthopolis alluding to the fact that he was fatigued at the end of last season when we got shouted down quite a bit on this podcast. I know I did. I know you did. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, for suggesting that he that playing every day was not a good idea. I'm going to read the whole quote now from Anthopolis. Uh, this was today, talking about Marcakis. On the day they signed him, it wasn't like retrospective. This is what he's saying publicly. Uh, and I quote, In terms of the dip in, in performance the last two months of the year, we look we take a look at this, and really from the middle of August to the end, to the last six weeks, and the one thing that is that Nick still hit the ball extremely hard. His exit velocity was still very good at the end. We do think that there's a fatigue component to it. We do think there's a fatigue component to it. He just hit the ball on the ground a little more, but we think with more rest, he has the potential to maintain the performance that he had in the first four and a half months, end quote. Um, so yeah, that's something we talked about a lot and knew. So maybe, if you want to be more optimistic, that if he is the, quote, everyday outfielder, but not every single day, like, play 140, play 130, like, be more, you know, most most of these progressive teams, um, like the Dodgers, like the Red Sox... Outside of their elite guys, no one's playing every single day because it doesn't really maximize your players. Like, Marquez is not an elite guy. Through any any lens, he's not an elite player. The, the Braves have two and potentially three elite players for this season. Freeman and Acuna, and then Donaldson is the is number three. I guess Ozzy probably has a little bit of that upside as, as the fourth guy. But, you know, looking ahead a little bit, they did say on the record a couple times that they think he's going to be an, an everyday player on Tuesday, but... It's kind of all about what you are maximizing him as. One of the things that I tweeted immediately, and I wonder what your response to this is, is I feel like if the Braves had a manager I was more comfortable with, I would be a little bit more bullish on this. But because I know what we just saw um, from Stitt the last couple of years with Marquecas, I feel like his default is to play him every single day and hit him in the middle of the lineup. And that is not a good that is not a good outcome. Because even if you like the value, and I, I understand that because I, I, I think I do too, that value becomes a lot, a lot less if he is playing the prominent role that he played last year. Yeah, you're right. And I mean, it didn't take long. I think shortly after it was announced, they did a, a conference call with reporters and, you know, it immediately came out that Stitt was now leaning as, as things stand to have Ender back in the leadoff spot. And this is oh, just, I was, uh, I was getting there, Scott, we're going to, we're, we're going to do that. I promise you. No, it's uh that one set me, um, I wouldn't say over the edge, but um, my my mood certainly soured a little bit during that press conference because of <laughs> just that a little and a couple of other things. Yeah, yeah. So you know, and and again, there's there's many layers to this. I think I think you hit the nail on the head. And but I think at the same time, though, it's it's not just Snit who's going to take some of the I don't want to necessarily say blame here, but you look at the roster right now, and and if who else is going to hit fourth you know i mean there's just yeah. not a the whole thing was finding a power bat for right field and that's not one of <laughs> nick's not do that. strengths right so you know who who's gonna you know you it's tough to put uh you know a, a platoon i don't think anyone wants flowers and mccann uh doing it uh, ozzy who knows what he does i mean if he's more of the guy he was in the first half of last year you'd be fine but what if he continues to to not adjust to to major league pitching uh, Camargo probably isn't going to play every day. So, you know, like you said, it's it, it kind of opened up an old can of worms. Um, but at, at the end of the day right now, and, and I know that's going to be part of what we talk about is kind of what's what's next, what's the, the fallout from this. There's just not a ton of, of options right now 
because you have a couple of guys in the order who are limited and probably are better suited batting in the bottom of the order. Yeah, I, I'm, we're, we're going to get there momentarily. I do want to say, though, like the problem with this optically is that at this moment, the dirty secret is that the Braves aren't that good on offense right now. Like, as Curly constructed, even last year, this is a 91 club, but the Braves were fifth in the National League in runs scored, which is fine, but not necessarily ridiculously good. They were sixth in WRC Plus, they were sixth in OPS. They were, you know, slightly better than average National League offense. But when you factor that in with a with a pitching staff that has some upside, obviously, but isn't like lights out like elite pitching staff, that doesn't look like a World Series contender, frankly. Um, I think obviously there's a long way to go here. We're still in late January. It's like the season begins tomorrow, but it is worth pointing out. And I think Las Vegas has even said this now out loud, basically in a couple different spots. The Braves are projected for 84 wins, and that is kind of what this roster is at this moment. I think they obviously won 90 last year, and if Josh Donaldson is elite, then it's higher than 84 wins. I get that he's a he's obviously a big upgrade, and they still have Camargo to play around to play around the diamond, et cetera, et cetera. But I think if you look at the Braves roster top to bottom, in, 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 sort of in comparison to some other projected 90 plus win clubs, they're just not as good as those teams are, and that that won't necessarily change even with even if they make one or two moves and you you kind of need Acuña and Freeman to be as good as they are et cetera et cetera but i just think it's worth pointing out that as you kind of allude to there they have three or four good hitters on this roster and everybody else is kind of a question mark they you know they have the big two and Freeman and Acuña and i think Donaldson if he's healthy we can kind of reasonably assume he's going to be very good after that i mean i think Ozzy is that next guy but you have to figure the Enciarte and Swanson projection-wise, you have to think that those guys are average hitters or worse, and then mm-hmm. your, your catcher platoon is worse than it was last year, um, because McCann isn't as good as flat, McCann isn't as good as Suzuki, just flat out. So your offense might be the same as last year at this moment, maybe, because you figure Donaldson's better than the than Camargo, even if Camargo was obviously good last year, but if you, you kind of throw everything into the wash, it's kind of the same, and the same isn't a very good outcome given where it was last year. I mean, it's kind of just yeah. a secret, honestly, but I'm not trying to be super negative. I'm really not. But at the same time, that's kind of bridges to what you're saying in that if Marquegas is the move and this is the end of the moves on the offense, I'm going to be pretty underwhelmed and so is the whole fan base. But if it's something else, if it's Real Muto, if it's, even if it's like a top tier starter, if they do something else, it makes this move look better. But if it's not Real Muto, Honestly, like I don't want to pigeonhole it that much, but it kind of is so obvious that you almost have yeah. to. I don't know what else you do on the offense right now if it's not a catcher upgrade and that no. particular catcher upgrade. <laughs> yeah, I mean the only real place. I mean you talk about upgrading and and unless I mean it's always possible you pull a rabbit out of the hat, but obviously you mentioned Real Muto at catcher. You're not doing anything at first. You're not doing anything at second or third. I guess that something could happen at shortstop, though. Changing I mean, up your shorting stop, shortstop in, in the last week of January or February is not something done. Very, especially, than, especially when you just, especially when you also have Camargo on the roster. It wasn't yeah. like they. I mean, I'm with you. That that is the other spot, and I guess maybe the other outfield. Th- if like you know, there was some buzz early in the offseason that Ender could be traded. So maybe if they, but if, if outfield was that big, if it was easy to add an outfield, they would they would have just added an outfielder. You know what I yeah. mean? So. I just think that Real Muto is the name we've been talking about for months, and even today, Craig Mish was uh, reporting, and I quote, that the Marlins still covet Braves prospects above all others, end quote. So that was interesting to hear. But 
I mean, we even said this specifically. We said, I think two, three weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago, that kind of the only way that Marquez will be palatable as a starting right fielder is if you have Real Muto at catcher. I kind of still believe that, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, I'm right there with you because there's just not a whole lot of, you know, I, two months ago, I think the idea of, of potentially trading Ender was a little more feasible. But at this point in the offseason, you, you yeah. trade him away and then you have to find another outfielder. And as we've seen, there's just not a ton out there. So it, I don't want to say it's Real Muto or bust, but. I mean, it kind of is, right? I mean, and and again, that's not that's to say not that really our style to say that, but I think I agree. Like, it's not. Yeah. I don't. I want to. I don't want to put it as like a hundred percent that, but unless something is just completely off the board, which it could be. I mean, that's something that's always in play. Something completely off the board, but look around the team and the roster and the dynamics. Anything else in the lineup would be unexpected to be say to just to, to be sure. I think Real yeah. Muto makes a ton of sense. He's a massive upgraded catcher. I think you can talk about what happens after that deal happens um, in terms of just prospect capital and what you do with Flowers and McCann, et cetera. But Real Muto is such a big upgrade at catcher that you would suddenly feel okay about the offense. Whereas right now, if you roll into the season with this offense, there's a chance it's better than last year's offense, but there's really no chance that it's an elite offense. I can't really see that happening. I guess maybe if all three of your big bats are elite at the same time, they can just carry you through a season. And maybe I'll be, maybe Ozzy breaks out, but at the very least now you have three spots in your lineup. Um, this is even with Real Muto, by the way. If, without him, you have four spots in your lineup that are probably league average or worse. Um, and if look around, like the, the contenders don't really have that. They don't. Ha- they might have one or two, and most lineups do have one or two. But nobody's got four that's trying to win a World Series. No. And I guess you could be optimistic and say maybe. Marquez does, does what he did again, and maybe Ender bounces back to his to his 200 hit season, etc. Or Dansby breaks out, but there's that, that's a lot of ifs, man. Like the offense is just not that good. Yeah, well, and and friend of the program Bennett Hip had a great tweet today that you know if if Josh Donaldson does get hurt, which would be you know he he was hurt last year, he was hurt the year before. If Josh Donaldson gets hurt, the Braves are in a lot of trouble. I mean, I mean we're you, talking you about go, the lineup you go to, right you go now. to Camargo, but that's I mean Camargo. I guess if Camargo repeated last year, you wouldn't be, quote, in a bunch of trouble, but your depth is now gone, and that was the whole point of exactly, that move. <laughs> exactly, the whole point. So, yeah, I mean, you, you're really relying on these things. God forbid Freddie gets hurt, or, you know, if Acuna gets hurt, the season is, is probably in a lot of trouble anyway. Um, not ideal. You know, it's interesting, uh, and, and as we're talking about lineup and money, you know, this does, though, have, I think, a, a potential part two of the move and maybe that's our transition of Anthopolis said that the Braves had a number for Marcakis and up until it sounds like Sunday uh Marcakis's camp was not willing to meet that number which was again either four or six million however you want to look at it and until the Braves and and Marcakis were able to get to that number the deal wasn't going to happen now I don't pretend to know what goes on in the Liberty Media and Terry McGurk's boardroom uh, as far as team salary goes, it's a touchy subject, and, and it's one that, with good reason, fans are, are frustrated with. But this almost has the same feel, although there obviously wasn't the immediate part two of it that we saw with McCann Donaldson. But it kind of feels like, to me at least, that this this screams a lot of the Brian McCann deal where he signed for less money than what people thought. Whether you believe it or not, he signed with the Braves at a lower cost than going elsewhere and for more money or more years that was reported a couple places today with, with Nick, it kind of feels like, it, by the way, at, there's at the another, they both did. Oh, and did. So, yeah. you know, it's, 
it has a little bit of the same feel. Now, will they? I don't know. Maybe maybe they really are being cheapskates and this is it and the talk of making another move is just lip service to get the, you know, the calm the fans and the reporters down a little bit, but it does have a feel because it's it's such a low number that it, it leaves the Braves with flexibility. Now, maybe maybe nothing comes of it. Maybe they do tomorrow, next week, whatever it may be. Um, you would hope that it leaves the door open for something and allows them to do that because if they do then use the money they saved by paying Nick a little bit less than what people thought and, and use that money to add Real Muto and, and maybe a late-inning reliever, then the deal is a little more palatable. But until that happens, I think it's fair to have uh, all the suspicions in the world. Yeah, I mean, that was a, it was a popular punching bag topic after Anthopoulos said, said what he said about the money because of the fact that this is a Braves team that hasn't really earned that equity to say that they're going to spend this money. Maybe they will, but, I mean, it kind of plays into every stereotype imaginable that they would not spend this money. I will say that out loud to sort of placate to people because I, I, I totally get it. I agree with you that the number being that low does make it seem as if something else is coming, but I'll also say on the other side... I am skeptical of that. I mean, it's not as if it's impossible, but right now they have about $115 million or so committed to players. That would be down from last year's payroll. If they open the season with with a lower payroll, people are going to be very upset, and I won't blame them at all. Because oh, I'm with you. Yeah. You, can't, you can't go win the division. You can't draw the way they drew last year, which was way up from the previous year, and come back and spend less money. That that I, I understand the logistics. I understand the market. You can give me the excuses that you want to give me, but that is not going to look good, and I will be not leading the way, but I'll certainly be on the bandwagon of people that's upset about that. With I'll, that said, I'll be right there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we all will be. I mean, Eric said the same thing. It's not like that's anything groundbreaking, but I, I do think it's important to note that they don't. It's not a guarantee. I mean, I thought this was definitely spinning it in the way that you that you that you were saying there that this is a move that sort of allows them to do other things, but until they do the other things, skepticism is probably warranted. I will say on the flip side that judging the offseason right now is not a good idea either. I think there's there was a rush to that some today to say, all right, this is all they're going to do, and what a disaster it is. Well, I, I I kind of agree with you. This if this is all they do, if this was March, if this was March twenty second or whatever day it is, then I would agree with you. Like, yeah, that's kind of a disaster. But I'm not going to pour dirt on them now. Um, I will just say, as I've said before, if this is all they do, then it's not a good offseason. Donaldson, by the way, we were huge on that move. We were higher than most on that move. We, we really liked Donaldson. He's very good at baseball. There was very low risk there, despite the, the, the big price tag. That was a move that I really supported, so we, we, should, we shouldn't just forget that. That was a big upgrade that they made. But with the high hopes of this offseason and the rotation how it is and the bullpen how it is right now, there's not a lot of strengths, like full-blown you know, no doubt strengths on this roster. You have a couple of guys who are elite players. You have two of those guys. You have Donaldson, who could be there. You have Fulte, who was really good last year. But you look, on, look, look up and down the team, there aren't many stars on this roster at this moment. No. They're future no. guys. There are young guys who could be stars. You know, Ozzy could be a star, all the young pitchers. But in terms of just 2019 projection, this is not a 90, I don't think this is a 91 team again at this moment. Could it win 90 games again with this roster? Absolutely, they could. I wouldn't project it, and neither is Vegas. Vegas is smarter than all of us. <laughs> Vegas always knows. They do, and and there's, I mean, most Braves fans, even two, even two weeks ago, when when that number came out, it was like, oh man, that seems really low. And then today, like everyone's making jokes about how it's too high. Like, I, it's got, it's just kind of funny to see a perception swing. But I, I also get it because until they do, until they, until they do it, have your guard up. 
but don't judge the whole offseason. That, that, that would be that would be my my uh, advice at this moment is just skepticism is totally warranted, but don't you know pour it on him right now in January. Yeah, absolutely. And there there's still time. I mean, like you said, I mean, there was even some talk today that with the way the free agent market is, some guys might not sign until the first or second week of spring training. Now, he even said that. Bubble said that he said he said something like the next move could be in camp, and I was like, what? Yeah, that let's hope not. That that wouldn't be fun. Um, no. But no, you're right. I mean, it's now right now this team is a similar team to the one that won 90, 90 games a year ago. But as you said, the Nationals. I would imagine they're going to be better. They were on the wrong side of some luck last year, even though they, they look like they're, they might lose Bryce, although at the end of the day they might end up getting him back. But they've added, obviously, the Mets are going to be better if, if they can stay healthy. The Phillies have added, uh, and they were pretty solid last year. So it's not so much that the Braves have gotten worse. I, I think you know you think about Acuna for a full season. You hope that Ozzy's a little more steady. The upside of Donaldson, Camargo being able to play all over, you know, on and on, but everybody around the Braves that they're going to play, what, 30, 40% of their schedule against, they're going to be that much better. And I think that's where you're going to see, uh, again, as, as you said, as things stand right now, it's not so much what the Braves have or haven't done. It's just what the teams around them have done to better their clubs. And make no mistake about it, they've all made all three teams in the East, or at least I'll say the Mets and the Nationals have both had really good off seasons. I'm not sold on the Phillies yet. We'll see if they end up getting Machado or Harper that, that certainly swings it one way or the other. But make no, make, make no mistake about it, New York and Washington have had really good off-seasons, had some really nice players. Um, and, and, again, that's not to say the Braves have, have made bad decisions. I, I think you can at least defend all three of the signings so far, especially at the price of McCann and, and, uh, and Mark Hakus. But um, they're going to be better, and that's something the Braves are going to have to deal with, and it might be something that ultimately swings the pendulum in, in the East next year. Yeah, I mean that's it's it's a it's a great point. Division is going to be better than it was a year ago, and I think people, and we said this during during the run last year. I think people kind of are understating how much I don't want to say good fortune, but there were a lot of high end outcomes that were reached by individual players last year during the ninety one season. I think even if you look at the roster objectively, you know, six months later now, I think that was not a ninety one roster. That, that this is me talking now. Maybe you don't agree, but. I think it was a good, a, a better roster than we all thought it was going to be. But I think if you tell me exactly what the Braves had last year and project it again forward, I would have said it was a sub a sub ninety one roster, and they could be better. Your point is a good one that you know Donaldson being there, there's some growth potential from young guys even in the rotation and in the bullpen was shaky as we remember last year. So I'm not saying that they can't improve even as currently constructed. I just wouldn't project it, and that's that's the difference here. But I mean, it's kind of interesting going back to the. I have this note that I actually I haven't said it out loud just yet. Just you mentioned the value proposition for McCann and Marquez particularly. Marquez's value. Um, I had people kind of understanding that a little bit, and this is someone I think we're famously low on him compared to some. We got we got a lot of grief last year, especially with and probably rightly so for being too low on him at times. And I'll say this: he got less money than Kurt Suzuki and Anibal Sanchez. Yeah, he like, absolutely. I mean, I, I believe when they say he took a disc. I mean, oh, I do too. I do too. Yeah, only if I mean it might be mild. It might be a mild discount, and I think the the market just wasn't there. I think if he had a big deal, he would have taken it. But you know, I would I would have predicted that if if he was coming back, he would be taking less money. That was kind of always what we thought, and maybe he'll give the hometown discount. He mentioned his kids and uh, giving a couple of media interviews on Tuesday. I get all that, but 
again, I know we're lower on Marquecas as a player, but the value is good. It's just whether you use him or not, and I don't want to get into like a 20-minute sticker conversation, but it's just one of those things, man. Like if he's uh, if, if he's in a better role for himself, it might work out great. And if he's not, if he's sitting fifth, if he's sitting fourth or fifth every day, then it may not go well. And we we, we sort of skirted around it a little bit. The the uh, the little tidbit that Anthopolis dropped today about the lineup construction was um, something I, w- I wanted to at least touch on briefly. Uh, I will say this as, as sort of a backdrop. Zach Diller, good friend of the program for Fox Sports South, tweeted this and kind of bumped it for me because I actually forgot about this. On December the 5th, Anthopolis said on the record that his opinion was, quote, getting your best hitters the most at-bats makes the most sense, end quote, and that he favored a 1-2-3 construction of Acuna, Donaldson, and Freeman in the 1-2-3 spots. But even at that point, he said the ultimate decision is made by the manager, which is Brian Snicker. Today, I'm going to quote Anthopolis what he said today, and I quote, I think Snit is more bullish the Ender Inciarte has a chance to be the guy that he was in 2017 for us. Obviously, when we get to spring training and open day, we'll see where he is on that. And that was the ref- that was in reference to him hitting leadoff. Now, I don't want to go too deep into this because it's January, but an example of not good um, deployment of this roster would be Inciarte hitting leadoff and Marquez hitting fifth every day, which is basically what was prof- sort of propped out there by the front office today. Um, it's still January. I don't want to panic about that. But boy, that maybe that not really helped my mood when when uh, trying to talk hmm. about this and put together the rundown. I was like, man, I was ready to kind of sell this to the fan base. It's like, uh, everybody, hold on, it's gonna be okay. And then I was like, oh, by the way, everyday player from Arcacus, fifth in the lineup, ender hitting leadoff. And it's like, oh man, you guys, are, you guys are not trying to make this easy on me today. No, no. And I'm, I mean, I was <laughs> whenever it happened, that was actually one of the first things that crossed my mind that I hope they keep Acuna leading off where he was so successful last year and you want to get uh, your best players the most at bats. And, you know, we, we've said it before on here. Other, it's, it's been said many, many times, but you only lead off once a game. And other than that, it's the guy who gets the most at bats regularly. So you understand why, you know, Joe Madden famously now has utilized Anthony Rizzo as his leadoff guy on occasion because he wants his best hitters getting the most at bats. Now, sure, it might be a little funky in the first inning, but if it's the seventh inning and the bases are loaded and you're down by two runs and there's two outs, do you want Ender to come to the plate or do you want Ronald Acuna to come to the plate? And it's such an old school way of thinking. I'm almost a little taken back that Anthopolis would say what he said today. And maybe he's purely relaying what Snit has in mind. And, and yeah. over the course of spring, <laughs> I have a feeling that it'll was help. managerial, but it, it, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it is. So, you know, who knows? Like you said, it's, it's what January 22nd. There's two plus months to go before they take the field for real. Hopefully you, they're in a position to, to have Acuna Donson and Freeman one, two, three, um, for, for the reasons just out, you know, outlined, but, um, I, I think ultimately, as we've as we've mentioned a couple times now, if if they are able to upgrade the lineup somewhere, uh, as we said, catcher makes like seems like the most uh, the most obvious area to upgrade. Um, maybe it's not as much of an issue, and, and everybody can slide down if you had another big bat. But um, with today's signing, of course, you do kind of eliminate the one area where you could really upgrade the lineup, and, and obviously they didn't choose to do. Yeah, and I, and I think if they trade for Real Muto, we'll come on and say that this lineup now feels better, even with Marquecas playing most days. And I, I also think, underratedly, um, I would be thinking about trying Camargo in the outfield a little bit, if, if only because he's a pretty good option um, on days when I, I would hope, by the comments today, that Marquecas would be taking 
um, I guess, treated with a little bit more care in the outfield. Even if he's playing well, it would be a good idea to play him less. Um, and maybe Camargo fits in there. Maybe Adam Duvall is around, and maybe he's not. I think it's important to point out again today that that's a non-guaranteed deal for Adam Duvall, and Adam Duvall at $3 million looks a little bit weirder when you have Marquecas on the roster as well, making four and a half, or whatever it is, four, four or six, whatever, however you want to say it. So that maybe maybe that's not a partnership that's long for Atlanta. But regardless, like they're going to have to get um, – more creative now than if we if they were slotting in AJ Pollock or if they were slotting in, you know, definite, you know, full time starter X because I don't think Marquez is that player. Maybe he is. Yeah. Maybe he'll maybe he'll prove me wrong again like he did last year. Worth pointing out, we were wrong about Marquez last year. He was bad down the stretch, but in terms of just overall value, he was much much better than I ever thought he was going to be last year. So yeah, we are capable of being wrong. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah for just sure. Something, just something. I wanted to own that. I wanted to own that for like the twelfth time, but we were wrong about that. So, but well, you know, it, it's one of those things, man. Like I just have to tell you what I see, and the value is good with Marquez, but the value being good and you being a good baseball team are not necessarily the same thing. If you get, because honestly, at, at the money he's making, if he's a one-win player, it's a quote good value. But if you're yeah. playing a one-win player every single day in the outfield, that's not a good decision. No, or, like, no, you're right. Organizationally, it's, it's the opportunity cost, and yes. the, you know, it's the trade-off of yeah, you know what you're going to get out of right field, other than and, and that's to be fair. And, and we've said before of the, uh, and we kind of touched on this at the beginning about how the Braves spent really what two and a half, three months evaluating their outfield options. Every single outfielder on the market had some kind of war. I think Mitch Haniger was the one guy who made a lot of sense, and it doesn't seem like Seattle's going to trade him. They're going to keep him as they kind of retool. But every single player that was available in some way, shape, or form had a legitimate question, and we talked about how they're going to have to uh, prioritize what they want to – You know, we talked about Castellanos from Detroit. Well, he, he can't play defense, and you talk about – uh, David Peralta, who can't hit lefties and isn't as good away, you know, away from Chase Field as as righties. Or, I mean, away. <laughs> no, I got you. You got me. Yeah. Yep. So it was a long day. So um, you know, ultimately Harper, they decided Harper, Harper the price tag. I mean, you can go on and on. Like McCutcheon yeah, got a lot of money, for instance. Yeah, um, Michael Brantley has the injury concern. Sound like he wanted to be in a place where he could DH and 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 so on and so forth. So they're really AJ Pollock. He's he's played a full season once in six years and. And didn't have a great return last year, so there's there's all kinds of question marks. There there was no obvious candidate like there was last winter with with Yelich or with Lorenzo Cain or, or like that. There was no one who made all the sense in the world who could be obtained at what I would imagine to be a reasonable price. And ultimately, they they chose to bring back Nick. I think one thing that we haven't touched on and something that uh, Anthopolis has said for really day one is how important a good clubhouse is and. Uh, we saw after the signing today, all the players, Mike Fultonevich tweeted, I think it was, you know, how, how Nick was the best teammate he's ever had, and he's learned so much from him. And He said he was I, the most I, underrated player in baseball, which I found hysterical on the heels <laughs> of a gold glove and a silver slugger award, neither of which that he actually earned. That was right. hysterical to me. Yeah. But I understood it. I mean, it is a good example of the fact that, and we've, we've said this before, but everyone loves Marquecas. That cannot be understated. Ozzy, Acuna, you know, the, I think Acuna posted a picture of them together. Ozzy was common. I mean, it is clear this guy is very well-respected and very well-liked in a clubhouse. And there is a human nature element that is absolutely a real part of it that you are going to basically spend six to eight months with a group of 25 dudes, millionaire dudes, 
you're going to be on the, you're going to be on the planes together. You're going to be in hotels together. You're going to be in a clubhouse for eight hours a day together. You have to get along. You have to be able to, to, to play as a team. And, and, you know, it's, it's easy to kind of laugh at and go, well, they'll, they'll get over it. You know, good teams never have these problems, but at the end of the day, it is something that Anthopolis preaches and, and wants to have on his team. And, and, all the players on the team very much respect and, and appreciated playing with Nick. And, and that can't go uh, so far to the point where you're trading off good on-field performance for a guy who's good in the clubhouse. But I think it is a part of, of – it played a factor at least into why they, they brought him back. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty confident that if he was just like a meh kind of individual, that they would not have signed him. I'm going to say that out loud. Yeah, I think I, if he was just like a neutral – clubhouse guy that you could sort of take take or leave I don't think he'd be back with the Braves that's that's me projecting a little bit but I'm actually kind of confident about that knowing what I mean it's all off the record stuff and I'm not in the I'm not in the clubhouse but knowing enough people that are around the team I'm pretty sure about that that's just and that's you know I, I understand it as you've mentioned it's it's an, it's an important thing I mean we've probably gone longer than we needed to go on all of this just saying some stuff that we've also I'm sure we have some new listeners so hopefully that in, sort of encapsulates our big picture view on Marcakis. Give me your like short synopsis on your feelings right now. I know, I know we, we covered a lot of ground in the last 35 minutes or so. Give me your like one minute to two Ooh. minute, you know, full scale Scott Coleman feelings right now in late January. <laughs> it's sort of like summarize where, where you are with it, with this move and sort of how everything is right now. Yeah, I think to me it all depends on what comes next. I mean, if if they don't, if the Braves don't really do anything of note after today. It is absolutely fair to be annoyed, to be frustrated, to be upset, and, and frankly, to go into the season thinking this this probably isn't a playoff team. I, I don't think if I had you know gun to my head today, I, I don't think I'd pick the Braves to make the playoffs. Um, but it is fair to note, as we've said, it's January twenty second, twenty third. By the time you're you're probably listening, they have some money to spend, at least by all accounts, from Mark Bowman and others. It, you know if. This time in two weeks, they've added Real Muto and, and signed a reliever. Then I think you look at the offseason a whole whole different way because you say, okay, well they were they were thrifty with bringing Marcakis back at four million instead of paying eighteen million to get Pollock on a risky one year deal. Uh, and and you just look at it differently. If we're at this point in in two months and it's about to be opening day and the Braves haven't done anything, well then I think it's fair to really be critical of the front office and ask what exactly the plan here was because there were some better players out there and yeah they got paid a little bit more, but if if they misused their funds or mis misevaluated the market, then then that falls back on the front office. So um, I, I don't hate it. I mean I don't. I, I know we've we've criticized Marcakis enough over the last four years and I think oddly both you and I don't hate this as much as maybe we, we <laughs> thought we would have part yep. of that's the cost and, and part of it's knowing that something else could be coming but again if if nothing else does come of it then I think it's more than fair to be upset and frustrated and uh, hopefully for you know for all of our sakes they do go out and add another impact piece or two over the next six weeks or so. Yeah I think we're very close to each other on this one um, I would encapsulate what you're saying as well and um, for me, it's a good value. That's the number one thing that I'll say in a vacuum. It's a good value. It becomes a far less impressive value or far less. And I guess the value sort of flies out the window if he's playing every single day in a bad lineup spot and just being over, oversaturated. I think you're, I think you used the words opportunity cost earlier. That is definitely something that you have to keep in mind here is that he is probably not going to be a player that you are super in love with playing every single day in the outfield for a playoff contender. And that does matter um, as much as the money does. Um, 
Yeah, between that and I agree with you that the next step is the biggest thing. If it's nothing or if it's very little, then bring the bring bring the torches out. Like I'll, I'll, I understand that completely. I will be critical of them. I will be very critical of the Braves if they don't spend any more money this offseason, um, both from an optics standpoint of having your payroll go down after a winning season and a ball, and, and a pretty new ballpark, et cetera, et cetera, and because this team isn't good enough right now to compete. I, I think that they got spoiled in some ways, and I'm sure we did as well, about 2018 being sort of ahead of schedule by a year. But when you win 90 games and you come out and you can basically bring the entire band back with with money to spend, expectations should be that you're going to improve, not that you're going to stay stable or not or actually decline. And I'm with you that if, if the season started today, I would not think the Braves would make the playoffs. Like, could they make the playoffs? Absolutely. Could they, could they win the division? Absolutely. As currently constructed, they certainly could do that. I wouldn't pick it. And that's disappointing because I was hoping, and I think a lot of people were hoping, to have a big splash or two, spend a bunch of money, improve your team kind of drastically enough to where it's easy to pick the Braves to, to repeat as division champs. I can't do that right now. If you told me that, that they add Real Muto, maybe I pick the Braves. I, I wouldn't necessarily say that I would definitely pick them then either. Um, because of the pitching uncertainty and some other stuff, but that's a market. That's that's sort of a marked increase. Like you basically go from a one or two win catcher in Tyler Flowers to a five win player in Real Muto. That's three or four wins. Like that's that's a lot of value coming in. So if that's the move, then you know everything makes more sense. By the way, though, if that's if that's their only other move, they still didn't spend any money. <laughs> yeah, I was mean? just thinking about that. They're at a. I mean, if you don't include the arbitration guys, they've spent almost thirty million, probably twenty. You know, I guess if you split the difference and say it's five million for Markakis, Donaldson was twenty three, McCann was two, so, so they're 30. at about thirty million. Yeah. yeah, but of course, you Markakis made eleven million last year, so you're saving what at yep. least five million, if not seven million, on that contract um, yep. versus from year to year. So yeah, it's it's a situation where. It's kind of funny that we've been we've sort of put all our eggs in the Real Muto basket. Even if they did that, payroll isn't going to be up from last year if that's their big move. Now they could still do more than that. They have they have money to spend. Of course, Anthopoulos was predictably asked about where they'd use that money on pitching, and he kind of was coy about it. And I think that's the easiest way to spend money right now in in the off season, considering their roster construction right now with Marquez on the on the team already. Free agency is not really a avenue to add money right now because they don't really have any work like they, like where are they going to sign someone they don't really have a position to put someone no pitching is the only way you can really spend money right now if you're the braves naturally i mean i guess you if you made a big trade you could do that but they're not going to go out and sign a free agent right now i mean although this is funny we i think we got i think it, it might have been a joke of a question but i think it was actually interesting and we can sort of end on this what happens if bryce harper comes back and this is theoretical i'm this is not going to happen but We'll say Bryce Harper because he's the he's the obvious name, but I think at this point, Marquez, the number is so low on Marquez that he shouldn't stop them from doing something if it just fell in their lap. Like if something weird happened and mm. a team had a player that wanted out all of a sudden, or Harper's market craters and he wants to sign a three-year deal in Atlanta, something crazy like that, the money is not big enough for Marquez for you to care about that. Like you wouldn't just be like, for instance, Mitch Haniger is your favorite. Um, conundrum, like your your favorite possibility. If he's suddenly available, the Braves should still trade for Mitch Haniger. Like they should not let Marcakis, the presence of Marcakis, stop them from signing someone if they or trading for someone if that happens. It's not likely. I think it's very unlikely. But one of the very very small values of having that guy making that little money is that that shouldn't stop you from doing anything else. It probably would. Oh yeah, but it shouldn't. Yeah. 
No, you, you never say never. I mean, you're right. If if some crazy deal comes along, you would hope they'd be flexible and realize you have to adjust sometimes. But well, it's yeah, like I mean, it's like, it's like than, McCann at catcher. Like it's gonna it's gonna be weird if they trade for Real Muto and they've already paid McCann and they all, and they have flowers. Like that's gonna be weird. But guess what? You have Real Muto, who might be the best catcher in the league. You just figure it out. So yeah, yeah. Good, good things. You know, you can never have too many good options, too many good players. You you figure things out. So you're right. I mean, again, something crazy could always happen over the next six weeks. Who knows? But I think ultimately that they've probably found their their outfield and and they're going to roll with yep. it for better or worse. I agree, and hopefully, better includes Real Muto or something crazy in the pitching staff. But yeah, you know, too, the the too long didn't read version of this podcast is uh, the move on its face is fine, but they better do something else. Is that is that accurate, Scott? Yeah, they got, we could have done this in like 45 seconds. Would have been a really less, I guess it probably would have been better for people to listen. Um, since people, I'm sure some people like this, but I'm sure some people hated it too. We have our fans and our detractors. It is what it is. But uh, it I is. enjoy talking about baseball, even if it's kind of in a weird scenario like this, in an emergency pod on a Tuesday. It's like 1130 Eastern. And um, I probably well, especially sleep, when it's but... been Well, and especially when it's been so long. I mean, I think part of the outrage today too is like we've waited two months for a move and then it's something as boring as bringing Nick back. Oh, on yeah, that was – it was definitely – I was actually on the phone with someone who is a, a friend of mine in an offline sense but a long-term Braves fan and we were talking about this this afternoon and I pointed that out too. It was like I think part of the outrage from the fan base – and by the way, there was a lot of outrage today, kind of surprisingly because I think – my feeling, at least, maybe maybe this is just me. My feeling last year was that Marquez was very popular among the fans, at least yeah. like the oh, more absolutely. casual fans. And now they were like really upset about him coming back. It was kind of strange to see that. I think because it's it the it's the ahead. name factor and the disappointment. Maybe. I mean, you you hear oh AJ Pollock or oh uh, you know Bryce and and all the names. Maybe there's a little bit of the sense of wanting something new. I don't know, but that's a good point. There was there was more negativity today than I thought. Yeah, and it wasn't just the people that that are like closer to where we are. It wasn't like the analytical people. Granted, those people were doing it as well to a certain degree. But I think kind of weirdly, it almost flipped. People like you and I who think about the numbers more were almost higher on this move than the fans were, which is crazy because we've always been lower on the fans than, than the fans of Marquecas. So no, it kind of came right. full circle in some ways. But uh, yeah, just what I was going to say about that is I, I think part of the nature is that people, A, want change, but like it's just – I don't want to say it's a thud, but it's the anticipation and, you know, we're sort of leaning into it, kind of making fun of the fact that nothing's happened and we have all these like emergency episodes of nothing um, in the whole winter. Hmm. And you're, and you're tweeting like every morning, this is going to be the day. This is going to be the day, Scott. (laughs) I did predict this though. So last night at like 1am as I'm getting ready to go to bed, I had a feeling and I said, today is going to be the day. And I, and I hadn't done like the daily prediction. I think honest to God, I think it was my first prediction of like the two month lull and I was like, today's going to be the day. And then sure enough, I, I got my wish. Yeah, bad timing for you. Well, good timing. However, I mean, I guess something happened, so you were good right. Good and bad, yeah. So anyway, we, we've done we've done more than enough on this. I'm sure we'll have more in the future, and that's why I'm sure we got a couple of rabbit holes that we shouldn't have. We probably should have saved for February. As um, we usually do. We always do um, line construction and all that, all that fun stuff. My, my, my singular pet peeve in the world is line construction, so... My apologies to everyone for ranting about that, even in January. Um, Scott, please tell people where they can find your work. I know we'll have uh, – we're sort of building now. Now that February is almost here, it feels like baseball season is on the horizon. I'm still in full basketball mode, admittedly, but it's coming. I mean, this is sort of a 
signal that it's, uh, or I guess more of a reminder that it's coming. But pitchers catchers are like what two, three weeks away. It's not like yeah. I think about right three weeks, and usually guys start showing up for workouts and everything like that. Yeah. So, but no, I mean you're right. It, it's getting close, and uh, you know we'll, we'll be here before we know it. As always, check out the site. We had a lot of good stuff today on on the Marcakis. Uh, Demetrius had a, a real nice piece on on kind of what to make of of Nick coming back for the one year and and as we've said the opportunity cost and trade off and um, as always on Twitter it's Scott Coleman fifty five and lots of fun shenanigans over there. Follow Scott, follow the site at Talking Chop on Twitter and of course read us every single day. We had a massive prospect list rankings and that was my plan for the next podcast was to talk to was to talk to eric about the prospect rankings and we're going to do that at some point i promise just not today um that'll be in the near future and as you i'm sure everyone has noticed that we're sort of off the normal sunday schedule my plan was to hold off until sunday and kind of get back on schedule but that was of course pre-move um it's the winter and um it's really easy during the season to record on sunday nights because that's when the braves usually don't play games But uh, in the winter, we'll be more fluid. I think you guys have noticed that by now. But every week or so, we'll be here and talk about something with the Braves. And uh, if there's an emergency like this one, or if there's a real Muto trade or a big move, we'll come back and hopefully that night talk about something as we did here. So please subscribe. Please tell your friends. um, Share the pod. I know there's a lot of Braves fans that don't really listen to podcasts or read content. And it's it's a good way to pass the time. Maybe they'll like it. So have have them give it a chance. Your parents, your brothers, your sisters, your cousins, all that fun stuff. Uh, Thanks, Scott. I appreciate it, man. And we'll do it again very soon. Absolutely, buddy. Take care.